It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by our tactics guy, Nathan Clark, a man who I often fear will join a breakaway podcasting Super League. Nathan, how are you doing? Uh, I would say mixed is how I'm doing. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. Whew, what a day. Um, so there's, there's been too much information for me to process today. I've been, I've been working. I've been in meetings today. I woke up to an announcement this morning. And then I've been sort of slowly reading more content between meetings and things. Oh, I mean, we thought that we'd split our podcast into two because there's just too much to cover off in one. Um, and, and frankly, I'm hoping this first conversation will help me process things yeah. better. Um, process the reality uh, that we're faced with about this European something league. I'm I'm reticent to call it super because I think it's anything but. Um, we've got some special guests to help us navigate this, but I want to start by asking Nathan. Uh, Nathan, what was your initial reaction when you read the announcement that Spurs put out? How did it make you feel? <laughs> we, we 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 knew that it was coming in terms of on the day because it was being talked about throughout the day there were the rumors coming forth um but we also sort of knew that it was coming for a long time this has obviously been building up and it's also something that we've sort of edged towards um incrementally with with revision after revision after revision so there's a degree to which i'm a little numb to it but it's still still disgusting really is what it is it's just it's not it's not football it's um it's um it's not meritocratic and and i think that what makes football football what makes sport sport but i think what football has managed to keep hold of in a way that a lot of other sports haven't is is that meritocracy it's um look, football fans millions of football fans in this country in europe in the world they um they go to work every day in offices and warehouses and building sites and kitchens and they they don't work nine to five nine to five disappears right they work fucking eight to eight and for those of us who have been lucky enough to work at home during a pandemic they're on call 24 hours and their boss is an idiot and their boss's boss is a prick and their boss's boss's boss is an idiot and a prick but he's the son of the boss's 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 boss and he's just hanging out in that role for a while um 
you know, to give it a bit of a time before he takes over the company. And so I'm going to use the word capitalist. We live in this this capitalist economy in which there's this sort of pretense that is meritocratic, but everyone knows brilliant, kind people who are miserable and everyone knows evil morons who live lives of luxury. So we know that we don't live in a meritocratic society, but but at least there's football. And in football, in football, God, it matters so much how big quote marks your club is it matters so much how rich your club is it matters so much where they're located geographically and but until now no matter what has happened in the in the boardroom football is still dictated by whose goal the ball goes in right you're promoted mm-hmm. and relegated based on what mm-hmm. happens on the pitch and this is the crossing of that line this is this is the the board invading the pitch and and taking that away from us and, and um there will be no going back from this if, if this is the way that we go that's kind of it's the no going back bit that um, that, that that scares me the most. Um, I must say, uh, you, I mean, Nathan, you put that beautifully. Frankly, that was uh, perfectly summed up. Um, the sums of money involved uh, make this particularly unpalatable as well. Particularly when we know what uh, smaller football clubs are going through as a result of the pandemic, but also before that. Um, and it just feels unbelievably selfish that our club has chosen to do this at this time. Um, we'll certainly come on to that. I, I also feel as though, for all the reasons you just described, we're sort of slowly moving away from this being sport. Yeah. We're sort of moving into the realms of sports entertainment. This is like, this is WWE for, for football. This is like not actually a sport anymore. It's just a performance art. Um uh, yeah, I think that's an idea I might come back to a bit later. But first, let me just introduce um, Martin Cloak and, and Cat Law, the co-chairs of the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, two people who do a huge amount of work on a voluntary basis for supporters. And uh, we're very lucky to have you to have you with us. I'll start off with with Martin. Martin, was this announcement a complete surprise to you? Oh, yeah. Um, I would say nice to be on, but it's not nice in the circumstances, is it? But it's, it's nice to talk to you guys. Was it a surprise? It wasn't totally a surprise because we, uh, along with the Football Supporters Association and with other fan groups uh, in, in football, particularly of the so-called Big Six, have been running a campaign for a while where we've been saying to people there are there are plans, there are plots being hatched. Uh, there, you know, as long uh, alongside this European Super League, there are also changes being pushed and have been announced today to the existing Champions League by UEFA, which we have a few problems with as well. So um, it wasn't a total surprise. I think the the timing and the brazenness of it. Uh, I think even for those of us who who let's say constructively have have learned to be a bit cynical, uh, although when you do this sort of thing, you kind of have to play the game to a certain amount, and you have to be use words like pragmatic a lot and be all very grown up. <laughs> you, you retain a certain amount of cynicism, but I think the brazenness of it has taken a lot of people by surprise. I think it took Alexander Seferin, who's the president of, of UEFA, by surprise because I've never seen somebody who is a who is an established figure in the game going quite so hard against their, their former colleagues, the Seferin has, has gone in today, basically called them liars and snakes. Um, people like Ed Woodward and, uh, and Agnelli, the Juventus chairman as well. So, you know, this is civil war that's broken out. Um, the fact that it was, it was uh, late on a Sunday night, it's put out when everybody's still dealing with, with this pandemic that's, that's killed 3 million people around the world, which has mm-hmm. restricted our movement, which has changed all of our lives completely. And they've got the damn cheek 
uh, in that statement, one of the things is, is to say that, uh, that that they're that they're doing it because uh, you know we've lost some money during the, during the pandemic. Well, you know we know football is a business, and lots of businesses have lost some money. But let's not. If it wasn't for the pandemic, there would be another excuse and another excuse. And I think what what this has shown. You know, I've I've been going to football since the late seventies, and and I've sort of been not not always an activist. I hate that word, but I, I've been kind of involved in trying to speak up for fans. And every time there's a, a reform, so called, that comes forward, uh, it, it's always because you know we need a bit more money. Um, it, it hasn't quite worked, and this is, this is a culmination of a journey we've been going on for a long time. And at some stage, you've got to say, you know what? Maybe you're going in the wrong direction here, because every time you do something, it seems that a few years later, you need even more money. Or you need an even better guarantee that you're not going to drop out of something. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it wasn't we, we we're not naive and we see the way the game's been going. But I just think the the scale and the brazenness of this and the utter disregard for for the sort of feelings that that Nathan did say, you know, that that was fantastic because that's not that's not a prepared speech. It's not a manifesto, you know, statement. It's just a supporter speaking from the heart. And this is what this game means to all of us. Uh, and we all accept it's a business now. But but it's it is a business like no other. I've kept banging on about it about this for years. But because people feel the way that Nathan has just said that he felt, it means more to us than just you know handing over some money and getting something back, going to the theatre. It's not just an entertainment. You know, there's so much more to it. So um, yeah, it's 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 sad. Um, but I think you know people are people are having their eyes open now. So. Um, and you know, I'm really encouraged by. I've never seen such a depth uh, of, of of anger and unity uh, across football um, between fans of different clubs, between different parts of the game. Uh, and that's the other injustice of it, in a way. You just think that the people that agree with this, uh, uh, a number of billionaires that you could count on the fingers of two hands, and the people that disagree with it are millions and millions of football fans across the world. Although, of course, they would have you believe that they're really speaking on behalf of the millions and millions of football fans because they're all altruists, these owners. They're not in it for themselves at all. We just It's just us, the mugs, that don't know what's good for us. Kat, talk us through the trust's initial position on this. I, and also, you know, wh- how long it took to come to that position because this all happened very quickly. I mean, yes, we got some advance notice. And in fact, um, through Gary Neville on, on Sky, we got some advance notice. <laughs> he was tremendous, by the yeah, way. Yeah, wasn't he? Wasn't he great? I am um, using his line, which is a criminal act against the fans. Love That's it. That's going to be reproduced. Well said, yeah. Gary, because it is. Um, look, we, um, we've been operating as a board now um, since, well, I've been on the board for eight years. Martin's been on it for seven years. And the majority of people on our 11-person board have been there for a good four or five years now. So we're a fairly well-oiled machine, as it were. And it's our job uh, as elected representatives and elected board members of the trust to be totally abreast of anything that might come up like this. So we don't operate in isolation. We're not an island. We're part of a national network through the Football Supporters Association. And we're also affiliate members of the Football Supporters Europe, which is at the European level. And obviously with the work that we did when we reached the Champions League final, et cetera, et cetera, we've built some good connections with people who are at FSE level as well. So as Martin alluded to, this has been mooted for at least two years now. We held a members meeting um, at our normal physical home, uh, which is CMS on Cannon Street. And that was way before the pandemic. And Kevin Miles, who's the chief executive of the FSA, came and spoke about the threat 
of a European Super League, of a breakaway Super League. And he spoke to our members at that meeting then. So what we've been trying to do ever since then is to educate our fan base and our members. It's a really complex message. This isn't something that you're going to read a headline on and know instantly as a fan whether you're for or against it. You need to understand the implications and you need to understand the ramifications and what it actually means to have aligned yourself with the breakaway Super League. So as a trust board, we'd obviously been discussing this for at least two years. Now, the, the target's been moving all the time. The plans have kept surfacing and then vanishing again and then resurfacing in a slightly different format, like shape-shifting all the time. But the, the overall principles of you know a, a closed league, a closed shop, as we said, ending the meritocracy, et cetera, have always remained the same. So we've had our position in place for that for that length of time. It's been in virtually every newsletter for the past year. It's been in our last two end-of-year reports. Um, what we have done actually over the last month is really ramp up our social media on it. So we've used a load of tiles, so you know, graphics on social media, explaining what our points of principle are, explaining what the main issues with proposals are, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And that was against the UCC, the UEFA club competition reforms, and against the European Super League. So the two things have been running in tandem. So for us yesterday, we were already primed and we already had our position. And we polled our members on the last uh, end of season survey that we did, which was at the end of the 2019 season. 81% of the 4,300 people who participated agreed with our position against the ESL. So we had a mandate there anyway. And when you're elected to the board of a trust, you have to show leadership on occasions like this. So you have to stick your head above the parapet. You have to take a position on something that is so important. As as Nathan and Martin have said, this is absolutely intrinsic to the future of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And so you've got to be brave enough to, to put your neck on the block on this. We didn't we did it in a heartbeat. It, it literally took about five minutes to write the statements and get them out there, honestly, because we already knew morally and you know, realistically what our position was. We're also fortunate that we have a very good dialogue with the other fan groups from the five other clubs that are implicated. So we're already we're on constant WhatsApp groups with them anyway and on email loops. We know that we're already aligned because we've already done joint statements on this. So that's very powerful as well when it's not just you speaking out when it is you know the, the, the fan groups at City at United at Arsenal at Chelsea at Liverpool and all of us moving tribal rivalries aside and coming out on that really massively aligned statement so it, it, you know we we knew where we were going with this that the the, the the danger was that not enough fans had paid enough attention to know what it actually meant so the next job is to get people to engage with the topic in depth enough and in enough detail to actually appreciate what they are saying if they say this is a good thing i'm fine with it i'd rather spurs be in it than not that's the danger now there's kind of two sides to that aren't they because 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 cat's right that that the the detail is very difficult to understand but one of the challenges that we've had is that of course you have to engage with the detail you can't let yourself get bogged down or diverted to it and the 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 bottom line that you know we're, we're we're all football people we wouldn't be doing this unless we were football people. 
And when you're a football fan in this country, one of the basic things that, that you hold dear is the idea of the pyramid. And however much that's been distorted, the idea that, you know, when the season starts, everyone's got a chance of winning something. You know, maybe something unusual will happen. Maybe a club like Spurs will get to a Champions League final. You know, imagine if that happened. Um, and so that that's what part of the attraction for it is as well. What, what this does, this European Super League plan does, it goes to the heart of what this thing is that we love. Because a sport is only a sport if you don't know who's going to win. If the result isn't predetermined, it's the idea of jeopardy. You know, we might lose today. Something might happen. There might be a banana skin. And as Spurs fans, we usually go, there's <laughs> definitely going to be a banana skin. Um, and that's it. So on, on that basis, and as football people, we knew that fans were against this. Now, there, there, there may be detail where some fans will go, well, actually, I'm not quite as against it as I thought I would have, done, I would have been, or it depends how it's presented or whatever. But the bottom line is, it's that threat to competition. Uh, and it's been said by a number of the other supporter reps. You know, one of the things that we love in football is when you go into the workplace that Nathan was talking about and you've got your, your mate, you know, the West Ham fan or the, the Arsenal fan or whatever, to be able to look them in the eye and go, we're in this competition because we were better than you on the pitch and you're not. Not we're in this competition because we sat down in a room with a load of people and a big suitcase full of money and decided that we're all going to go in there and really it didn't really matter if we won or lost because it's just about turning up. You know, where's the fun in that? And it's not a sport. And maybe these clubs think that people are going to keep watching that, but there's already complaints about too much football and too many games that aren't good enough. Uh, and, and that's that's going to get worse. And that there's the cheek as well that the, the club owners have said this for a long time. They've had this view that people don't turn up to watch clubs like Burnley and Crystal Palace and Southampton. They only turn up, do they hell? We turn up to watch a football match between two teams. Uh, and we want to be entertained, and I know we'll come on to that later, uh, preferably, but we, we want to see that we've achieved something because of a fair competition. And you know, so, so in, in many respects, the decision to oppose this, we knew we wouldn't be doing this and we would have absolutely failed in our, in our duty and our task if we hadn't realised that that's what a majority of fans think. And of course, we look at engaging and of course, we look at what the details are and that's going to have to be worked through as well. But, you know, the bottom line is, again, it's, it's we've, we've talked about who's got the right to make these decisions. And we, we've, we've, we've been saying this for a long time. The people who own football clubs are temporary custodians. I know legally that's not right, and I know in terms of business that that isn't right, but they are temporary custodians. This club has been here for 139 years. It's here a long time before the current owners came in. And I would normally say we'll be here a long time after Mm -hmm. the current owners are gone, but everything's up for grabs now, isn't it, uh, as well? But who, who have they asked? Who are they accountable to? And people can say, well, you know what, you know, who are you accountable to? Well, I'd say we know a lot about football fans and how they feel. And even if you go down to the survey that Kat mentioned, they'll say, well, yeah, but it's only 4,300 people that answered. That's 4,300 people more than the club's bloody were last. But when we raised this at a board meeting, the answer from Daniel Levy, the chairman, was, well, I'm a fan as well. So that's all. Actually, Martin, the, 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 we asked the specific question. We wanted a commitment that were um, a question to come up. It was after Project Big Picture. Yeah. So, uh, yes. So after, after that uh, embarrassment, we wanted assurances that should something else come up, they would consult with their fans. Uh, ideally, us as part of that process, but primarily with their fans. And Daniel's response was, I don't need to because I'm a fan. That tells you everything that you need to know about their view of, of consultation. And, and you're quite right. And Martin, at the end of the day, we, we are accountable and we are elected. And if, if our members aren't happy with, with our 
work or with our positions, then they can vote us out and mm. someone else can have a go. But not, not only with those things, that, that what's been said today by these, these geniuses in charge of this plan is that, is that we're the legacy fans. Yes. So we don't really matter. They, they're after the new, we're the legacy fans. So we're a bit like that, that old PlayStation that you find at home that you haven't used for a while because it's all been a bit outdated and we're now on PS5 or whatever. You know, we're, we're, we're an old operating system. We're the leg, they call, that's what they call us, the legacy fans. That sounds like a phrase from a Deloitte audit report or a KPMG audit report. Mm. Who they've put together some sort of horrendous report looking at uh, where income streams are coming from, and they've separated groups of fans in that way. And anyone who's a traditional fan who actually goes to stadiums and watches football is, is referred to as a legacy fan. It's absolutely oh, yeah. sickening, yeah. absolutely sickening. It is, but pe- people, the, 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 some of the mistakes that, that a lot of fans make is, is this argument about, you know, well, football's always been a business or football shouldn't be a business or whatever. That it, The reason that football became a business in the first place, the reason that, that well, it's two reasons, that, that they had to have an enclosed space that was reasonably safe where people could go and see people play. Uh, and, and they also had to pay players. And if they didn't pay players, the only people that would have been able to play football would have been people who didn't have to work. So you would have had a game only played by what they called gentlemen at the time. It would have been the upper classes. The reason it became the people's game was because it was turned into a business and because we paid people to play football. So, you know, there's this characterization sometimes of fan opposition to this. So, you know, these people don't really understand how business works. Well, actually, we do. What we're saying quite clearly is that it is a business, but you're running it the wrong way. And what you're doing in the end is that you're running it into the ground. Because when Daniel Levy and Stan Kroenke and the Glazers and JP Morgan and all the rest of them can't make any money out of this, they'll go and find something else to do. And where, where are our football clubs then? Nathan, one thing I want to do is, is try and think about this from Daniel Levy's perspective, because some of the reaction has been, well, look, you know, how could Daniel Levy possibly turn this opportunity down? Do you, do you, do you sort of see that? Do you, have you put yourself in his shoes and thought, well, he, he might have turned it down? Or, or you, uh, what do you feel? How do you, how, do you, how do you feel about whether Daniel Levy can sleep at night, basically? <laughs> Uh, Daniel Levy sleeping at night backdates this exact uh, engagement, but I, 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 yeah, I, I get I get the point you're making. It's like, what if the rest of you know the big six went into the ESL and, and we are just left behind, and how would that look on his records and all of that? Yeah, I, I do I do understand the argument, but like I don't I don't absolve him of that. Like it's twelve clubs. Um, we know what Daniel Levy is like as a personality too. There's, there's no way that he's just sort of casually complicit in this. He, he's, he's, he's an active character in, in this organization. He has to be because that's who he is and that's how he is. And I, I, I look at this and I look at, um, yes, the growth we made under Levy <clears throat> over the last 15 years. Um, and the new stadium and our recent on the pitch success, not that recent, you know what I mean? Um, and I look at the ESL and I think that like this is going to, there's a potential and people are talking about it with, with excitement. And I, I get that there's a potential, the idea that the ESL is, is potentially a bubble that a lot of fans feeling the way that we've described so far in this podcast will be turned off and turned away and football will collapse and eat itself and those clubs will fall through. I think that Levy doesn't really have to worry about that because I see the short term and the medium term is is a doubling of the value of this football club with its new stadium, with it being, you know, one of this 12 or more founder clubs and the opportunity for Levy to, to sell a, a massive profit. And that is why, I mean... <laughs> Certainly if we do so, <laughs> but I imagine that we are certainly open to the idea and, and that is, that's, that's 
that's the appeal for Daniel Levy, and that is why I, I hold him wholly guilty and, and don't absolve him because of the situation around him. It's and it's easy as well because we're football fans. We can just say, well, let's just be, you know, king of the muck. Let's stay in, let's stay in FIFA and UEFA recognized competitions and be the best team there because there's so much fun. There's so much joy. There's so much memories to be had doing that. So I, I, yes, I understand the argument that could be made in favor of, 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 of Levy's decision, but I don't accept it at all. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you have a vision of of where this could end up going? I think at the moment it feels quite intangible because we don't know what's happening. You know, on one hand, you've got these plans. On the other, you've got UEFA saying that any team involved will be booted out of its competitions. Any player involved won't be able to represent the national team. How do you see this ending up? What in your like? Give a best and a worst case scenario. How do you see this potentially looking in the future? However you look at it, it is now one unholy mess and it's about to get a hell of a lot worse. I think um, we're now recording and it's 4.37 and at 4.30 this was being discussed in Parliament. So it's it's moved way beyond football now. Um, Worst case scenario is obviously the breakaway goes ahead. They win any legal fight. Um, The clubs are kicked out of the Premier League and they sit there in their closed little competition forevermore. That's the worst case scenario. Not just because of what it would mean to us as fans of a club that had withdrawn or been kicked out of the Premier League uh, and gone playing to European competition, but for the rest of the football pyramid, it would be absolutely disastrous. There are smaller clubs who would go to the wall because of this. So there's a responsibility for the whole of the pyramid as well. Um, I think the best case scenario is that there is a legal challenge on behalf of who would ever have thought that the uh, the Premier League would be the good guys? <laughs> who would ever have thought this? And the FA, but there you go. Uh, and they managed to pull the brakes on. Um, I think this isn't. This was never an all or nothing thing. You asked if we were surprised, actually, at the announcement. What did surprise me was how far it had got. I thought it was a game of brinkmanship, and I thought it was aligned with the timing of UEFA and their proposals for the ECC reform that was being announced today, or you know, green flagged today. Uh, and I thought that it was literally just showing some leg and see how far they could get. When they'd actually signed um, the letter of intent, and that was announced last night, and when all the resignations from the ECA followed this morning, I was like, okay, this is now serious. This has gone too far now. This has completely crossed over the line. It is no longer a game of brinkmanship. But it isn't all or nothing, because there's already calls for um, reform of the game. 
There's the Premier League have already doing their own governance reform. There's the so-called government fan-led review that's about to commence. There, I don't think it's beyond expectation that some of the bigger clubs within the Premier League could end up getting a bigger slice of the pie through some of those reforms without having to take themselves off to play in the European Super League. You know, I can appreciate uh, the frustration with the broadcast revenue splits, for example, etc. I think there's a halfway house. I think that's the nuclear option. And it depresses me that our club is one of the ones who's taken the nuclear option and shown an absolute disregard for all of us fans as legacy fans. And by legacy, we mean match going regular fans who have propped up that club for decades It's a 139 year old institution. Let's just remember that. And I think that that's part of the problem, isn't it? That one of the things that has happened that I mentioned earlier that, you know, that we, uh, we uh, uh, a supporters trust is a particular sort of organization. So it's not a protest group, but though it can protest, it's not an opposition group that we are there. Uh, and part of our, our kind of statutes, if you like, is to ensure um, that, that the club is run uh, in, in, a, in a good way uh, to ensure a, a decent future for the club. Now, there can be many interpretations uh, of what that is, but that's uh, so what we've done. And we know that we've faced criticism in the past because people have said, why haven't you gone in harder uh, on the owners? Why haven't you done this, this and this? Now, that's usually arguments about transfer policy or should we have signed this player or that? And that's not something that we particularly get involved in because it's on the field and, and nor should we. Um, but but there's there's a bigger issue now. But what we have tried to do, and I think even not all of our critics, but some of our critics would say, well, you know, I might not have liked it, but they did try to engage and they did try to be constructive and pragmatic and understand what's gone on. That relationship has now been completely broken. We cannot trust the people that run our club anymore. Okay, we cannot trust them to be honest and straightforward with us anymore. We, we don't trust their motives. And I think that the supporters groups at every club who have got varying different degrees of, of relationships. And actually, we had one of the better relationships with our board. The bar was set low, but we did have one of the better relationships as well. But that's been completely broken now because we, we can't trust them. We, we can't trust where they want to take this club. Uh, and, and that's a real issue. So, you know, one of the things that we are looking for, and there's a lot of political backing building behind this now. And again, people can say, well, I've heard it all before and I've heard it all before. Um, but there is a chance that the government will intervene. There is a chance that there'll be regulation. Uh, we are saying, for example, look at Germany. Right? Look at, And that sometimes there's too much made of the German model, but not a single German club has come out in favour of this plan. And that is absolutely connected with the facts that German clubs are 51% owned by their fans. Right, No one private individual organization is allowed to own more than 49% of the club. So they knew that the fans wouldn't stand for it. Doesn't mean that every German fan's committed to some kind of, you know, idea, idea, utopian idea of football communism or something like that. They're as business savvy as the next people. You know, Bayern Munich, that's a pretty successful business. Dortmund are now a pretty successful business. And they had their ups and downs, didn't they? You know, 20 years ago, it's a very different story for a club that's now a superpower uh, in European football as well. Um, but so one of the things that we're looking for is is that there should be that support or representation. There should be that fan influence because a decision like this, like a decision about whether you move your stadium to another part of the country or another part of the capital city, for example, imagine if that got proposed, uh, or if you wanted to change the name of your club, or if you wanted to change the colours of the shirt, that's the sort of thing that absolutely the fans should have a golden share in saying there's a line here and you don't go beyond that. We decide that. Um, and you know, it may be that, that fans take a decision that people don't, don't agree with. Um, that's it. But it, it should be, that, that there, there should be that influence. So one of the things that we're calling for now 
It is, you know, football can't regulate itself. We've had this for too long. We want government regulation of the industry. We want the interests of supporters and communities to be put first. We're also looking at trying to um, get, uh, get uh, football likes to make a lot of the trickle down effect. You know, the money at the top goes down and it helps the rest of the pyramid. Well, I think we've seen it doesn't. Um, th- there isn't a sustainable model to football in this country. The business model for clubs below the top half of the Premier League is to spend as much money as possible to get into the Premier League and then spend as much money to stay there uh, and and again that's another problem isn't it because you know a, a business an investor <clears throat> needs a guaranteed win but sport you can only have a certain number of winners there are only four major competitions that, that a premier league club can enter so you know uh, that's it so again we're saying okay um if you're serious about trickle down then let's have a tax let's have a tax on the richest clubs that does go in uh, to the rest of the game that does genuinely trickle down as well. Uh, and, and that money does come from supporters, whether they're people that go to matches or whether it's people that sign up for TV subscriptions. And I think that's another thing to take on. And I'm sorry I'm kind of prolonging the point on that answer a bit, but that one of the ways that they try to divide us as supporters is by saying, oh, well, you know, you lot of match going fans, you think you're better than people that watch it on TV. No, we, we don't. If somebody gets up in Australia at three o'clock in the morning for every single game and watches their club, they are making making a commitment in the same way as the person who gets up at five o'clock in the morning to travel from one end of the country to another. Okay, there's no 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 problem with that at all. There are issues about, you know, what those supporters look for and what they want from the match day experience and what influence they seek or can have as well. Um, so it's not about one set of supporters being better than another set of supporters. It's about believing in, in, in sporting competition and believing that the fans have a right to have a say. So that's two of the things that we're looking for in terms of financing and decision-making. And we think that we can succeed on that. The three major political parties are, are, are in behind that. Uh, you know, I don't often, as I think people will, will probably know of me before, I find myself agreeing with Boris Johnson, but I agree with what he said today. Uh, Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, said that. The Liberal Democrats are, are saying that, that there needs to be reform, that fans need to have a bit more of a say. And we're living in an age when people are talking about taking back control and the voice of the people, aren't we? Well, let's listen to the voice of the people. Let's listen to the voice of football supporters, because, you know, I, I'm not a, a researcher on a major TV channel, but I'd imagine from what I've seen today, they're having a bit of trouble finding and anybody who's speaking up in favour of this, apart from the billionaire owners and the people on the board at JP Morgan. Nathan, there might be some people listening to this thinking, why should I care? I'm going to get to watch my team play against the best teams in the world. My team are going to become incredibly rich and powerful and be able to buy all of the best players. And so not only will we be potentially successful in this exciting new European Super League, But also, I mean, if we wanted to, we could buy a whole new team to play in the Premier League if we're allowed to stay in it. What would you say to those people? Uh, I mean, there's an extent to which if people feel that way, you can't really, you know, tell them they're wrong. Um, You're entitled to how you feel. But I just, I mean, for me personally, I think for a lot of people, there's a real hollowness to to every single facet of that. I think when when we drew... Barcelona in the Champions League group stage a couple of years ago, I was really excited because I was going to go and watch Leo Messi play. Um, I'd never seen him play in person before. I went, I watched him. <laughs> it was incredible. It's a treasured memory. We lost, I don't care, you know. Uh, it's a special event when you when you come up against these these great sides and it's two sides clashing and you take the game to them. We beat Real Madrid, we beat Dortmunds, those are incredible memories. If you're playing those teams week in, week out, it's so much less special, I think. Um, 
And then again, the stuff that I talked about at the beginning in terms of the, you know, what makes football football, the meritocracy, the, the idea that we could like, we could finish 12th or whatever in the ESL league and not suffer for that. That like there's going to be five annual invitational teams finishing above us and they get relegated, but we get to stick around. Where's your pride in your football team? If that's the case, you know, it's just, it's sickening. It's a spectacle. And I just think. Yeah, I just think it's so hollow. I think it's so empty. Um, people like hollow and empty things. There will always be some people who think it's brilliant. Um, but I think that there are enough people who, even if they don't immediately feel this way right now, and I think that there are a lot, I think people will become fairly sick of it. They won't maybe necessarily realise why they don't like it so much anymore, but it will just lose its its vibrance. And I, th- I think I think that's right. I think I think pride's an important word, and I think that that, that there's there's uh, that there's 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 something that, that that needs to be challenged about this idea that you know maybe Spurs have to be there. Uh, you know, if this is going to be the top competition, and this this is a a, a board showing ambition as well. That, but by signing up to the plan as it stands, the, but the board of Tottenham Hotspur are accepting that this club will be a second class citizen in that league because. People are talking a lot about these payments of 350 million euros to the 15 founder clubs. If you look at the detail of the plan, it says that there'll be one-off payments of up to up to 350 million euros, but only six clubs are going to receive the full amount. And five of the initial members are going to receive just 100 million euros now, you know, just 100 million euros. But hmm. So are we really saying that, that Spurs are going to be one of those six clubs? Because I don't think they are. Um, so again, they're signing up to something that this is a this is a it's the European Greed League. It's it's cementing in greed, and within that within that 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 greed structure, more greed is cemented in, so that the top clubs can't be caught. You know that, that one of the major moving forces behind this is Agnelli, the Juventus chairman, who is a man who stood up in that painful season when we missed out on the league and Leicester won it at a, a, a meeting and said it is an insult. To, to me and the members of my family, that the club that we've invested in is forced to play against teams like Leicester City. Well, it's one of the bloody league men. Okay. His club is now fourth in the Italian top division. They lost to Atalanta last night. Right? Atalanta aren't invited to the party. Right? These, these genius business people are running their clubs so badly right, that they, they, they have to invent a competition that, that doesn't depend on sporting merit to get in there. And, and you, you talked about pride as well, Nathan, as well. And I talked about being able to look people in the eye. It's that, you know, it's an embarrassment, you know, after the season that Spurs have had, that we're saying that we deserve to be in the champion, in, in the top competition. Uh, and a club like Leicester City, which has got where it's got on merit this season, doesn't deserve to be there. You know, and, and everything's come out. People are saying, hold on a minute, Nottingham Forest have won more European Cups than Spurs. Who the hell do they think they are? Right? And that, that, that's, that's a fact as well. That they, they have embarrassed the club. Is that the best interest of our football club? You know, they've disgraced us. They're dragging our name through the mud. And actually, Martin, uh, we were saying earlier, weren't we? Even if these plans are scuppered and they don't go ahead, I have no idea how they put that genie back in the bottle. H- how are fans going to react? I, 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 I actually think that the position of Enoch is now untenable because there's so much anger amongst the fan base and they've totally shown their hand as to how little, in what little regard they, they hold the fans. I, I don't know how you make that right again. So as a long-term business decision, that is going to be far more costly than maybe missing out on your share of £350 million or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know how we move forward from this. I, I think the, the problem with that, cat is it's not long-term to them. It's all about um, short-term now. You're right. 
But but I thought the change really came across to me. I was reading just before we came on, Stephen Pollard, who's a Spurs season ticket holder, used to be the editor of the Jewish Chronicle, who's now a columnist on the Jewish Chronicle. And and he's written a column which calls for for Enoch to go. He said, enough now, that's it. And what he said in there really rang true, and I think it will ring true with a lot of people that are listening to this this podcast. He said that he sits with three season ticket holders. They're mates. That's the match day crew. They they go along to games together. And they'd all been saying, if Mourinho's still here next season, are we going to renew or not? And he having a good moan over a pint. And he said, all of us knew deep down that, that we'd renew, we'd, we'd be back because we've been through these things before. You know, we've been through times when Spurs were awful to watch uh, or, or, or not even as successful as we have been um, and never as successful as we wanted. But he said, this Super League, we're now going, actually, are we going to, are we going to renew? What, what's going to be the point? And I know people will say, oh, look, people always talk a good game, don't they? But the fact that those conversations are going on by people who are absolutely committed to their core fans of their clubs. And it's not just Spurs fans that are talking about that. That conversation is going on all over the country now. Uh, and, and there's a risk of losing something. Now, you're right, Chris, that, that they, they don't care, but we do. Okay, yeah. so, you know, that's that's why these people need to be swept aside, I'm afraid. And I think it's doubly hard for us at the moment, isn't it? Because we're not inside stadium. So we feel like this has been done. It's duplicitous. I think Martin was on a radio interview earlier. I think he said it, like, it felt like they've been skulking in corridors. Yeah, which they is very apt. Yeah. Uh, this has all been done behind everyone's back. Well, while none of us have a voice, and that's unforgivable. So I know a lot of fans are contacting us saying, "Organise a protest." Obviously, we need to be careful as well because there's social distancing, and we're we're still in a lockdown. Well, coming out of one, but still not there yet. And um, limited attendance at Wembley and and getting anything inside that stadium is going to be difficult. Um, But I would say if anybody wants to talk to us about doing something, please do drop us an email at info at thsdofficial.com. I would be uh, very grateful to hear from you, particularly if you're going on Sunday. Um, But I see that the good people over at We Are Tottenham TV were organising a protest at 4.30 today outside the stadium um people will find the way of the people will find a voice they, they will find it it's just going to it makes it so much more difficult when we're not all together we're not allowed to be together we're not allowed to be in the stadium we're not allowed to organize a march or something but you know batter the club's social media accounts just make as much noise as you can guys and those those things work i mean you're going to get the world weary types and we, we we get quite a lot of them go oh, you know well you know you've got good intentions but it's never really going to work they're never going to listen they're not going to do anything these things do work that you know the decision on furlough was turned around by the force of of largely the the response on the club's official Twitter feed. Now, you know, I'm not one of those people who think that Twitter is the entire world. It's a bubble and there's stuff that goes on beyond it. It doesn't often reflect reality. But people made, on on various social media channels, they made their feelings known. Uh, It became an embarrassment for the club uh, and they had to reverse. I don't think they really think that they were wrong, but they knew that they couldn't go ahead with that. And for a club, for a board like Tottenham's to, to turn around on something is quite unusual. Uh, because they think that they they're so much cleverer than everybody else, and and you know they they they're, they're naturally right, but it, it can work. So whatever chance you've got, you know, if you're at the cup final, if you're lucky enough to get a ticket, you can you can make your voice heard in whatever way. If you if you can turn up outside the stadium, you know, and we wouldn't be advising people to break social distancing or to to, to break any of the the restrictions that are still there. But if you want to find a way to express an opinion, you can do that. 
whether it's social media, whether it's physically, whether it's at a game, they're talking about letting fans in maybe at the end of the season for, for one of the penultimate round of games as well. There could be 10,000 inside, uh, inside the stadium then. So that'll be interesting. Let's find ways to, to make our voice heard. There's always ways to do that. Very quickly, can I just reverse back to furlough? Because you have to think now, if this, this hasn't happened overnight, this plotting's been going on, as we've already established, for at least a couple of years. Can we just let it sink in that they were actually going to put a large percentage of their staff on furlough and have the government pay their wages and then planning to do this? It's scandalous. But, but anyway, we're, we're very lucky because our board are much better because Arsenal actually made 55 of their staff redundant while well, yes. to stuff their pockets full of lo- lots more money as well. So um, and, and oh, there's been absolutely vociferous about that as well. Now, everywhere you look at it, I mean, fans, it doesn't come easy to have a go at your own club. Fans are disgusted at their own clubs across the country and disgusted is a word that's been used quite a lot. Uh, and, it, you know, let's, it's, it's sometimes easy to be hyper, hyperbolic about these things, but... Uh, uh, you know, feelings are running pretty high at the moment, and you know we've we've. I don't know how much we can emphasize it. This this strikes at the heart of what this game is all about. Truly does. I think part of the problem is that we're so used to scandal in this country now that you know we've had scandal after scandal that they almost merge into nothingness, and you stop noticing them. Mm. Um, and sometimes you feel as though nothing gets done about it. So what's the point? So what can people do? How do we how do we mobilize people? How do we ensure that people who want a voice are heard? What cat? What's the best thing for people to do? Um, I mean, I think we we definitely need people on the ground, and we definitely need people who will make visible protests within all the uh, regulations and and law that is enshrined at the moment around COVID. Please don't anybody take any risks. But we do need people who can get to the stadium, hang their bedsheet on part of it. No, no to the European Super League. We do, we do need people who are prepared to speak up. So flood the phone lines on all the media uh, channels on radio and TV. Flood social media. If you're at a game, if you're at the cup final, if you're in the Wembley area, go and get a photo up outside the stadium. Literally homemade placards, the whole lot. Just be as visible and as loud and as persistent and as relentless as you possibly can. We have to put our foot flat to the floor on this and we cannot let it go. That is what we need the general fan base to do. What we need to do as elected representatives who are in that level where we're in dialogue with football authorities, we have briefings with uh, members of parliament. We, I already had a meeting in with the Premier League on Thursday that will 100%, that was meant to be around the return of fans, that will 100% be hijacked by this. On uh, this occasion, the Premier League need us, so they're, they're, they're allies, so we'll work together with them. Similarly with the FA, we'll work together with them. We'll, we'll collaborate at a European level with Fan Supporters Europe and a national level with the FSA, and we'll keep working together in a unified way with the fan groups of the other clubs that are involved in this, but also working with the fan groups of the 14 other clubs that have been left behind in these discussions, who are also part of our network, who we also have an obligation and a duty to make sure that they're okay, which they're clearly not right now. So we, we will be involved in an awful lot of dialogue. There'll be more statements coming out from us. There'll be more lobbying uh, in a more targeted manner from us. But the fans of Tottenham and all the other clubs, if you can make as much noise as possible, and the minute we are allowed to meet, we will be meeting. Do make no mistake about that. The, the minute that we are allowed to meet, we will, we will make sure that we organise something. But in the meantime, just get in touch with us on info at thsdofficial.com. If you want to help, if you're going to the cup final on Sunday, that would be so massively helpful. 
um, that'd be great. I think I should just say there as well that that, that be passionate but stay the right side of the line. We're not encouraging uh, abuse. There's a big issue with abuse in the game at the moment. Uh, we're not encouraging that because it's it's a bad anti-people thing, but we're also not encouraging it because it detracts from the message. And make no doubt about it, at some stage over the next few days, one or all of the clubs will come out and talk about the unacceptable social media abuse that they've had and fans have crossed the line or whatever. There's a sophisticated campaign going on behind this and you, you can see it on social media as well at the moment that um, that there's a tweet that's going around, uh, which lots yes, of people with numbers in their in their uh, in their Twitter handles who seem to have just come on in the last month. And the tweet reads, and it's amazing how exactly the same words seem to come up, but with the insertion of maybe your club name. The Super League is a good idea and will revolutionise football. Only small clubs like, and this one I'm reading at the moment says Liverpool and Arsenal, but they kind of change for the audience, uh, are worried. I speak for everyone when I say yes in capital letters to the European Super League. Right? They are so confident, the people organising this, uh, that, that it's going to be uh, embraced by the, by the fans, by the mugs out there, that they've got an army of bots on social media pushing that pushing that stuff out so that that tells you all you need to know about all this but that's why it's important for us to protest in the right way do not give them a chance to dismiss us uh you know as a bunch of oiks or as, as abusers or whatever target target your fury target your anger target your passion uh make your voice heard uh, and we are there when they want to come and they want to talk then we'll talk um, and the only other thing trust I think be regained. is that if you're not already a member of the trust, it would be super helpful if you could be. Um, so you can sign up at our website, which is www.thstofficial.com. Uh, you can sign up as an associate member for free. It doesn't cost you anything. Or if you want full voting rights, etc., then it's £10 a year for an adult or £5 for senior. Juniors are completely free. Uh, it really helps us to be able to say we represent X thousands of Spurs fans without a word of a lie. I mean, you've got what, a Mac open next to you, haven't you, Martin? And I've, I've got my inbox open. It has just been pinging off the scale for over a day now. We have had hundreds upon hundreds of new members join, which is fantastic because we, we need your help. We need your voice. And so please do take the time. It's two seconds to sign up. And as I said, you can do it for free. And that helps us communicate with you. And it also helps us legitimately say that we are representing a good number of Spurs fans on this really important issue. Absolutely. I, I urge all of our listeners to sign up with the trust as soon as possible to get, to put some weight behind uh, behind the message. Um Kat and Martin, thank you so much for your time. Please go and get some sleep and, yeah. uh, and rest and recuperate because you two have had a hell of a day. Um, we really appreciate everything you're doing for Spurs fans and I'm sure our listeners will as well. Thanks. Can I just lob one more thing in at the end? I've just seen this breaking. So it's a breaking news. Oliver Dowden, who's yeah. the sports minister, has said in Parliament just now, being no doubt, if the football authorities can't act, then we will. We will do whatever it takes to protect our national game. And I now have no choice but to formally launch our fan-led review of football. So that's happening. Keep the pressure on. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, E. Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.